0: Hi! Welcome to Witch witches Witch, a pop culture podcast about ladies who use magic. I'm Regina.
1: And I'm Derek. And today we're going to talk about some of our favorite LGBTQ pairs of witches. And it's a very, it's a very colorful group of witches because we've got one from an extremely colorful comic book series and we've got one from an extremely colorful television cartoon series. Correct. So it's going to be a bright and jaunty and exciting set of magical ladies.
0: Highly saturated. Highly
1: saturated. So let's get things started, Regina, tell me about your witches today.
0: My witches today are Kim and Kim from the fantastic comic series... Kim and Kim by Magdalene Visaggio, with art from Eva Cabrera, Claudia Aguirre, and lettering from Zach Sam. The two 20-something best friends are international bounty hunters working and living out of their space van. It's a sci-fi, feminist, punk rock adventure, and probably my favorite comic this year. I'm going to be exploring specifically Kim D, a former necromancer, but both Kim's are relevant in my book because they're both freaking magical. Yeah,
1: this book is a lot of fun and oh, yes. it's best to sort of stop asking questions as you read it and just go along with the ride because as I was reading it, I kept being like, wait, are they in the future? Is it a parallel alternate reality? Because they're referencing 20th century American pop culture, but at the same time, who cares? It's just fun.
0: Who cares? They're fighting monsters with a guitar.
1: Yeah, it's great. I, I really enjoyed it and it's a it's a romp For sure. So let's get straight into the five rules. Can you tell me how Kim D identifies as female or Kim Q even? How do they do they identify as female?
0: Yeah, so both Kims identify as female. And even though I said I was going to explore Kim D specifically, I'm going to take an interstellar punk rock detour and talk about Kim Q for a second. Okay, so Kim Q is a trans woman, and her portrayal in this comic is one of the best, most realistic depictions of a trans woman I've encountered in pop culture. This comic would be worth a read just for that. Kim D, Kim Q's mostly platonic life partner and the witch in question, also identifies as female and as bisexual. I'm going to come back to the Kim's female identity when we talk about persecution and misunderstanding.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely not in a position to say what one should and shouldn't do in terms of representation of trans in media. But I really enjoyed this. I thought it was it's the way that I like to see and that also sounds not good. But <laughs> I like to see trans representation in that it's not a thing. It's, it's not, not even really a thing. an issue. Yeah, it it's just it comes up in conversation naturally. It's not like a big speech. It's not like people accusing Kim of misrepresentation or anything. It's just like it, it doesn't affect the story. It doesn't affect the way characters interact. It's just a thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. So oftentimes with trans portrayals in media, you end up with th- the character's transness being linked either to a strength or a weakness in a way that's kind of exploitative. In this case, you don't have that. And that's what makes it really refreshing and really fun because you have this really down-to-earth character that you can relate to and an experience that's different but isn't either exalted or demonized one way or another.
1: Yeah, and at no point does the audience need to see what Kim was like pre-transition or learn about how that process happened. No, it's just like, here's Kim... As she is, this is who she is. That's all the audience needs to know. Yep. Love it. Let's move on to the second rule of witchiness, which is that the witch in question practice magic. Can you tell me a little bit about how either or both of the Kims practice magic?
0: So again, I'm I'm of the opinion that both Kims are magical as their default state of being. But in particular, Kim D is a necromancer. She comes from a family of probate necromancers and uses this power somewhat ineffectually, to try to talk to a spirit, but ends up accidentally summoning a demon sandworm.
1: As is wont to happen. This
0: magic is so good, though, I can't even tell you. So she draws this ritual circle, and they all put on eyeliner to help with the ambience, and it's basically everything I know about practicing magic in three convenient comic book panels. Kim Q also fights monsters with a guitar, as I mentioned, and I find that to be an exceptionally effective magical implement.
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed that in in those three panels they seem to go to like fantasy hot topic to get all of their supplies. Dude
0: fantasy (laughs) topic for all your magical
1: needs on the one hand this is a bit shallow on the other hand it's delightful it's exactly what i want it's not shallow
0: that's exactly how magic works Mm -hmm. it doesn't work unless you have the appropriate amount of eyeliner
1: they like go to a store in a shopping mall that has like a goth theme and they just come out with like a ton of like black nail polish and a a choker necklace and black eyeliner and they're like okay we're ready to do magic.
0: And like one of the there's another character who's involved in this summoning who's kind of like what is even happening and they're like no no like this is actually this is really important to the magic mm-hmm. because truly truly it is. As I said it's everything i i know about practicing magic. Yeah.
1: It's hard to summon any sort of necromancy when one has a, like, Lisa Frank Trapper Keeper on display. Like, you can do it, but it, it complicates things. It, it, you, yeah. It's just you got, a, a you more— got to
0: really lean hard, and you got to lean hard into the goth girl aesthetic in order to get that spirit to come, come on over. Yeah, you've
1: got a much more direct path to the other dimensions when you could be none more black.
0: None more black.
1: None more black. Let's move on to the third rule of witchiness, which is how the witches in question practice feminism. Can you tell me a little bit about how Kim and Kim— are feminist?
0: Yeah, all, all the feminism, all the feminism, all the time, all over this series. Not only are the Kims awesome, supportive friends and partners to each other. Woo, lady friendships! You have a portrayal of a trans woman and a nuanced portrayal of a bisexual woman, ladies fighting monsters, and the patriarchy. And I mean, what could be more feminist than that?
1: Yeah, it's super fun. And it it also made me think a little bit about how... So Kim and Kim, the comic book, is from one of my favorite sort of up-and-coming indie publishers at the moment, Black Mm -hmm. Mask Studios. Mm -hmm. And I think I mentioned in a previous episode, it may have been cut out for time, but they also published... My favorite debut comic of 2016, which was called Black,
0: oh, right, which is yeah. a story
1: of what if superpowers were real, but only black people got them. Right, it's so much of the story that, as a like liberal socialist, whatever, like you, these are the stories you want to see because mm-hmm. they make a great statement about the things that are happening around you with a fantasy tinge, and I felt like Kim and Kim did a lot of the same with that in terms of like portrayals of feminism. Absolutely. So I enjoyed that aspect a lot. Let's move on to the fourth rule of witchiness in terms of Kim and Kim. Can you tell me how they are misunderstood or persecuted?
0: Normally, I have a stock answer about the misunderstanding and the creator of the comic, but not so. Not so this time. Kim D is somewhat misunderstood by her family, but it's really Kim Q who deals with the most misunderstanding. Kim q's dad is somewhat uh, the antagonist in the comic, at least in the in the first trade, mostly because Kim Q is no longer a part of his family business and he doesn't use her correct pronouns or names. Come on, dad. yeah, it
1: actually kind of confused me when they would use not her name right I was like, wait, who are we talking about? and I would have to remember like, oh right yeah i I, I had gotten so used to Kim
0: yeah and and that that again that is one of the things that I find really um Interesting and, and refreshing about this portrayal of Kim Q and her identity is because that's something that a trans person really is going to experience and struggle with people misusing pronouns or using not the right name and, and things like that. And I feel like having the antagonist in the story also be a part of that erasure of her identity. I think that's really a powerful statement.
1: Yeah. Similarly, on Sense8, whenever whenever the parents would use the pre-transition name, it, it it instantly identified that they were in the wrong, that the audience knew these are not people to get behind. Right. And so whenever Kim Q's dad would use that language, it just made me as a reader remember like... He sucks. sucks. Screw this guy. Screw that guy. Like, yeah. Go out in the universe and have crazy adventures. In your space in, van. To, to fly it in this guy's face because screw him. Yeah,
0: seriously. Which is
1: so punk rock. So
0: punk rock.
1: The series is extremely punk rock. Uh, I don't know if we've really harped on that enough aside from the using magic with a guitar but extremely punk punk
0: rock so much fun i love it
1: speaking of let's move on to the fifth and final rule of witchiness which is that the witch in question be bonded to a sentience greater than themselves can you tell me a little bit about how the kims may be bonded to a sentience
0: so i haven't read enough of this series yet to say for certain if kim d is or is not bonded to a sentience but i'm gonna go with yes at the very least she's shares an incredible bond with Kim Q and a beyond the veil bond with her aunt Juna and her aunt Juna is the um, person she was trying to summon with the um, goth hot topic magic ritual circle that ended up summoning a sand monster that they just kind of, left there because it was too hard to
1: fight not only did i enjoy the hey maybe we shouldn't be fighting this sandworm because we are just two ladies and it's huge and there's an army over there let's let the army handle this well
0: let's let the army they handle said, like, it let's let
1: the army handle this and as they walk yeah. away but the the aunt juna reveal was probably my favorite part of the oh, series because
0: aunt juna
1: simultaneously introduces a lot of fun new stuff into the series but also it allowed the introduction of juna's former partner mina yes and then when like you get to hang out with mina for a little bit you see a photo of when they were young adventurers and you realize mina looks just like kim q Mm -hmm. and juna looks just like kim d Mm -hmm. and i was like where did they get this photo from oh wait it's them when they were younger that's amazing
0: that whole parallel storyline is really nice and it, it also goes back to what i was saying about like female friendships and female relationships Relationships as they're portrayed in media, oftentimes you don't get that kind of positive role model thing happening. There's usually a sense of, you know, competition or, um, you know, just really not supportive relationships. But in this case, you're getting these two parallel, awesome lady relationships. And it's great.
1: Yeah, and I think the most fun part of the series is getting to see that camaraderie between each of the pairs of ladies when they're out on adventures, because Correct. Yeah, they're fun when they're just like sitting around eating cereal, bantering. But when they're like in their space van, being chased by pirates, and they're just like having witty repartee at each other, you're like, oh, this is completely badass. This is the representational Han Solo adventure I've always wanted.
0: Exactly. Where
1: everybody is Han Solo.
0: Where everybody is Han Solo. And queer. And queer and queer and a ladyish person
1: yeah let's have more of that let's have
0: all of that thank you so now i've i've brought you through interdimensional bounty hunting lady people and how magical they are so derek why don't you tell me who are the who are the two witches that you're going to introduce me to today
1: So I would love to compare Kim and Kim to Ruby and Sapphire from Steven Universe. So Ruby and Sapphire are two sweet, young gems introduced in the first season finale of Steven Universe. The two of them are refugees on the run from the gem homeworld, wanted for the crime of abandonment when they chose to stay on Earth and defend its inhabitants rather than enslave the planet as homeworld wanted. Ruby and Sapphire spend most of their time bonded in a sentient romantic relationship known as Garnet and fight alongside the stalwart Pearl, the impulsive Amethyst, and the titular goofball human boy, Steven Universe, as they defend the Earth from aliens, play video games, and eat french fries. Just the bits.
0: so i know you've been you've been harping on me to watch steven universe because you think i would really like it and i think that would love it, it. i think that it's true i would probably really like it but i have so little time for television and mm-hmm. stuff so i haven't watched it yet but this sounds so great and i'm so excited to learn more about the um sentient romantic relationship that they're in because it's the best
1: part of the show so i
0: maybe that's something i want like can i have that do, are there instructions?
1: Um, there there kind it? of are. And most importantly, the instructions are are presented in song. Which <gasps> we'll get to in a little bit.
0: Oh, okay. So let's... I've actually
1: <laughs> done that song at my local karaoke night. And <laughs> of course bar you went have. Nuts because it was great. You
0: and your karaoke people and your karaoke. Jeez. Let's move on to the first law of witchiness that the witch or witches in this case identify as female. Tell me how... Ruby and Sapphire identify as female, or if not.
1: According to the creators of the show, canonically, all of the gems are genderless. The first crystal gem with a known gender is Steven, the protagonist of the series, and a human gem hybrid. He is known to be the first male gem, as well as the first human gem. So while the rest of the gems may not necessarily be identified as female, they are decidedly not male, further identifying Steven as an outlier among them. And all of the non-human gems are voiced by female actors, plus they will sometimes use female pronouns when referring to one another, such as she or her, but the prevalent theory is that the gems adopt feminine pronouns in order to be better understood by the various species they interact with, who do all recognize gender.
0: That's very considerate of them. I,
1: I suppose it's easier than using third-person pronouns, especially on a children's cartoon that might confuse the audience.
0: Yeah, that might That might <laughs> yeah, be. Yeah, I, I feel reasons. like from a production standpoint, but they very use terms like she
1: and her not to confuse the kids at home because they're like, well, Garnet sounds like a woman. So why aren't they calling her, her? Yeah,
0: and I think, I think too, just because the adoption of their, um, like, they, them as pronouns hasn't been as widely accepted yet in larger swaths of the viewership for this show. It's probably also that, too. Moving on to the second law of witchiness, how do Ruby and Sapphire practice magic?
1: So... All of the gems exhibit some sort of supernatural abilities connected to their unique gemstone. On Homeworld, rubies were something of foot soldiers, grunts. They had the power to form powerful gauntlets to allow them to fight more effectively. Sapphires, on the other hand, were aristocratic gems who were revered for their clairvoyance, allowing them to see into the future. This is an instance where magic powers directly define their personalities, as Sapphire is stoic and reserved because she sees the future and knows everything that's about to happen, whereas Ruby is brash and temperamental because she just smashes everything in front of her.
0: That's that's pretty interesting, too, that there's a sense of army soldier kind of things, for, and the dichotomy of that versus the aristocrats, like the strength versus the um, mental powers. It's kind of an interesting choice. The
1: grander epic story of Steven Universe that becomes revealed towards the end of the first season and becomes the main point thereon is that all of these gems come from another star system Mm -hmm. and they basically have aims to take over all of life. And so they're spreading from planet to planet and correcting what they see wrong by replacing everything with fellow gems. Mm. And so they're very militaristic. Got it. And it's sort of a, a feudal system, but the, the the castes basically are different types of gems. So topaz are a particular set of society, and amethyst are a particular set of society. And so rubies are foot soldiers, sapphires Got are it. aristocrats.
0: And I also like how the you're saying their personalities and their powers are connected, because as we know... The X-Men fans among us really enjoy that kind of power slash personality interplay.
1: Yeah, and it makes for more interesting storytelling where it's like... For sure. How do I want my character to interact in this scenario? Okay, cool. What powers would be a good metaphor for that? Yes, Which is also what I really enjoyed about, like, the first season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where, like, whatever horror trope they had this week was a metaphor for teen angst.
0: Exactly. So moving on to the third law of witchiness, can you tell me how Ruby and Sapphire are feminist, if at all?
1: Okay, so for the first time in this podcast, I felt the need to look up the definition of feminism for this one. So Merriam-Webster has two definitions. Hang with me here. I know this is a little dry. Uh, the first is the theory of political, social, and economic equality of the sexes, which, yes, definitely Ruby and Sapphire do. While Stephen is the only gendered gem and a male at that, Ruby and Sapphire are the gems who most frequently point out that Stephen is just as much a gem as the rest of them. And while many other gems see Stephen as an oddity or an error, Ruby and Sapphire insist that Stephen is a gem regardless of his origin, species, or gender. Aww. The second definition of feminism is organized activity on behalf of women's rights and interests which yes ruby and sapphire have absolutely demonstrated they were pivotal members of rose quartz's rebellion against the homeworld defending the livelihood and independence of the planet earth and all the people who live there man and woman alike hooray but first and foremost they were defending rose quartz who would soon be pregnant with little stephen regardless of whether the gems identify as female rose was definitely a mother-to-be And defending her right to life, liberty, and happiness sounds pretty damn feminist to me.
0: Absolutely. And you know I love a little extra research. I feel like that was really important. I like the distinction because, yeah, the political social economic equality is one piece of it but the organized activity on behalf of women's rights and interests definitely another part of it and it, it feels feels good to see that they they run the, the gamut of definitions of feminism thanks miriam webster
1: yay miriam webster has been the best thing of the past year the
0: best thing the but also the best. it felt
1: good to just very briefly check my privilege and be like hang on what exactly is let's feminism? check it out yeah, so i i'm happy i did that
0: The fourth law of witchiness is that the witch in question is persecuted or misunderstood. Can you tell me how Ruby and Sapphire are persecuted or misunderstood. Yeah,
1: so Ruby and Sapphire are hunted by the homeworld because they are seen as an abomination that must be destroyed. Hmm. When Ruby was defending Sapphire during an attack, they accidentally fused together into Garnet, and this was the first time two different gems had ever fused together. So in the past, Rubies would fuse together to make a bigger, stronger Ruby, and Topazes would fuse together to make a bigger, stronger Topaz, so on and so forth. But different gems had never fused Fused together, so Homeworld saw this as an abnormality that needed to be eradicated. What Homeworld doesn't understand is that fusion is about more than just strength and size. Fusion is an intimate bond, sharing all of oneself with another and vice versa. As such, Ruby and Sapphire develop a close relationship, both in and out of fusion. And the powers that be find this unacceptable because it's different from what they know. Uh, If this strikes you as a bit homophobic, well, that was. Definitely the writer's intent. Ruby and Sapphire are in a forbidden romantic relationship, and while the audience has shown this as a strength, that very relationship makes them the target of disgust Hmm. and hatred from their enemies.
0: That's really interesting. And it goes back to what I was saying before about Kim and Kim and how the antagonist is also linked to a common social issue that's being explored in the book. The same thing seems like it's happening here with Ruby and Sapphire and their relationship and how there's a sense of antagonism around what that is and what that means and how people view it. So that's pretty rad. Also, tell me more about this song so that I can figure out how to fuse together into an, a new thing. A new thing?
1: Okay, so that's actually going to be a major topic of the next question. So Oh, let's, let's move on. Let's right move
0: on. It. Let's dive into the, the fifth and final law of witchiness, which is that the witch or witches in question are bonded to a sentience larger than themselves.
1: Uh, yeah, so as I alluded to a couple times already, Ruby and Sapphire are absolutely bonded not with a sentience larger than themselves, but as a sentience larger than themselves. I love it. Ruby and Sapphire fuse together to form the powerful gem known as Garnet, who serves as the leader of the Crystal Gems on Earth, and is the physical embodiment of the romantic relationship shared by Ruby and Sapphire. This relationship is best described in the episode where it is revealed that Garnet has been a fusion all along, as she battles the villainous Jasper and sings... Time you're afraid of. Cause you think that you seem what I made of? But I am even more than the two of them. Everything they care about is what I am. I am their fury. I am their patience.
0: I am a conversation. That's so cute.
1: It's really precious and.
0: That's so adorable. Anyone who and watches that wonderful. song and doesn't
1: get goosebumps and cry a little bit, I don't understand how you are. A human I'm crying
0: being. right now. I don't. I don't know what you're. I'm crying. You haven't right even now,
1: seen the cartoon, and you're already emotionally. Affected I'm already by crying. It. It's a beautiful sentiment, and it's one of those. So, so Steven Universe was is is created by Rebecca Sugar, who famously she is the first woman to ever run her own show on Cartoon Network, that had never happened before. But she rose to fame as a storyboard artist and writer on Adventure Time. And she was most known on Adventure Time for writing the songs for Marceline, which I don't know if you oh, watched this L- time yeah. at all, but like I did. The Marceline songs were part of what really made that show a breakout hit with like the millennial audience, because they were like, wow, these really insightful, emotional songs are hidden inside a children's show. And so when Rebecca got to make her own show, Steven Universe, and based it on her life and her like LGBTQ experience, Mm -hmm. she also put these like very deep emotional songs in it. But The one that really broke everybody's hearts was in the first season finale when Garnet sings Stronger Than You. Because up until that episode, the audience only knew Garnet as the powerful leader of the Crystal Gems who was badass and could see the future and could break stuff, not realizing that those were the powers that she got from Sapphire and Ruby, who are what she is made of. Yes. When we start the episode Jailbreak, where this is all revealed, we meet Ruby and Sapphire because they've been broken up and kept in separate cages. Mm. And it's not until Stephen frees these two girls he doesn't recognize but realizes are prisoners. And then they see each other and are full of tears and run towards each other and hug and kiss. And then they form into Garnet. You're like, oh my God, oh, this makes so much sense. And Garnet is just so happy to be back because Garnet is their relationship. And so having not been there for that time hurts. And so being back together and being a relationship, she was just happy to be be again. So it was, it was a beautiful it thing.
0: hurts just to think yeah. about and it. And then
1: it's, it, this is instantly followed by being confronted by Jasper, who was their jailer, who refuses to see Garnet as anything other than a disgusting, this is instantly homophobic content. It's like...
0: Boo.
1: She she sees them as a monster and Ooh. like this must be destroyed and rectified. And so Garnet proceeds to beat Jasper within an inch of her life, basically, and, and sing this song. Well, not beat her within an inch of life. They they fight to a standstill, but the audience roots for Garnet to destroy Jasper and it doesn't doesn't quite work out. But
0: Clearly. So
1: now that we've talked about all four of our witches, or both of our witches, or however we want to count them, let's uh, let's compare and discuss who we would invite into our coven. So Regina, given the choice... Let, let's take them as couples. As couples, Let's take them yeah. as couples. So given the choice between Kim and Kim, uh-huh. or Ruby and Sapphire slash Garnet, uh-huh. who would you invite into your coven well, and
0: why? I really love everything you told me about Ruby and Sapphire. They sound so interesting to me, and I love that they... Their love is a, another sentience, and that really speaks to my soul. But I have to say I'd probably invite Kim and Kim mm-hmm. because they feel like they would be my buds even outside of coven meeting. Like, we could go and, like, have all of the eyeliner to share, summon the forces of darkness, get things done, right? And then later, like, hang out and have pizza,
1: Yeah, that sounds great.
0: What about you, Derek?
1: I, you know, I've thought about this a bit, and I would probably also choose Kim and Kim. As much as I love Ruby and Sapphire and Garnet, Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. it's a little complicated because, so so Ruby and Sapphire, when they're separate, Mm -hmm. you really see their emotional stability differences where Ruby is Mm -hmm. brash and impulsive and can't wait Mm -hmm. for anything, and Sapphire because she already knows how things are about to play out, doesn't really raise her hand to change anything. And I feel like that Mm -hmm. wouldn't be great in a coven setting. Mm -mm. At the same time, Garnet, while Garnet is delightful and is the best. And like, I, like I would want Garnet to be the one who saves me as opposed to Kim and Kim. Like if I were in danger, I want Garnet. But Garnet tends to be of the like, okay, well, I know how things are going to play out because future vision. So you just go have fun. You learn a lesson. Ooh. And I, I don't want that. I want someone Mm-mm. who will help me out. So Kim and Kim simultaneously will throw pop culture references at each other because that's another great thing they do. But they're much more on my level of like, let's hang out and figure things out. And if we make mistakes, cool, we'll learn.
0: Exactly. Yeah. They're good Kims. They're real good Kims. Mm-hmm. After a uh... Fun coven meeting, wearing our eyeliner, hanging out with the Kims. I feel like we'd all go downtown to the Cauldron Cabaret. The
1: None More Black Cauldron Cabaret.
0: None More Black. Oh, it's goth night at the Cauldron Cabaret, nuts. you guys.
1: Despite these both being highly saturated, brightly colored materials. It is still none more black.
0: It is still none more black.
1: All right. So, who who do you see our new friends interacting with at the Cauldron? Because I can definitely see Kim and Kim rocking out with Ileana Rasputin.
0: Oh, definitely with Ileana There's Rasputin. Necromancy. There's necromancy a lot of necromancy Necromancy and portals and Can you believe the
1: wacky adventures we got into? Remember that time when I was in LGBTQ hell. tension. Oh, my
0: goodness. Yeah. All of those things, yeah.
1: So many things. They, they seem be... like a perfect match.
0: Absolutely. I see them um, sort of gravitating towards the girls of the craft at first, and then being like, ooh, mm-hmm. maybe you guys need to do a little bit of maturing, and then we'll come
1: back mm-hmm. and hang. I feel like maybe Kim and Kim would like throw a little bit of shade at Maleficent. Little shade. Just a shade. little bit. Like, not, not to her face, but, like, from across the bar.
0: Yeah. But I think that um, Kim, Kim Q would be a really good influence on Lord Fanny.
1: Definitely. Right? Yeah.
0: Right? I feel like that's, like, a really good, like, friendship that could develop and, like, help them both yeah, Like, grow. hey, Lord Fanny, maybe don't try maybe, so hard. <laughs> maybe put down the drugs, Lord Fanny. Uh, I feel like
1: although in fairness, Kim Q also is down for some drugs. At one point she talks about you're right. to, she she talks about wanting to plop plop fizz fizz at one point.
0: Yeah, you you're which right. Which is my you're...
1: favorite new <laughs> allusion to how to use drugs.
0: <laughs> you're right. We haven't
1: said this so far, but I should point out Kim and Kim is not an all ages comic. Not an all ages comic, of no adult no, not language. For, There's not no adult children. content, but the language is definitely not for the youth.
0: Correct. Um, what about Ruby and Sapphire? Who are they hanging out with?
1: I mean, the the easy answer here is put Ruby and Sapphire at the kids' table. Kids' Because table. they are definitely pint-sized gems when kids they are table. separate. So, Ruby... Kiki
0: and, uh...
1: Yeah, Ruby and Sapphire would be with, you know, uh, Asko Kagari and Matilda. Matilda. And Kiki. Kiki, definitely Kiki. I can see them all hanging out and having a good time. At
0: the all-ages portion of Goth Night?
1: At the all-ages portion. It's tough because... Sapphire is so reticent to have a good time because she's very, like, straight-laced and knows all of the things before they happen, which might be a fun cabaret act now that I think about it. <laughs> no. No, it wouldn't be. No. It would be a bummer. It would be a bummer. It would be a, bummer. Would be a, bummer <laughs> would be a
0: terrible bummer. Uh, but I could, Although I feel I like see... the Kims would have a great cabaret act, right? Because they got the guitar oh, the and Kims the magic, would absolutely. And, like, they would like, a double... Yeah.
1: Every time the Kims come out, I just hear Bikini Kill playing. And I'm probably going to put some Bikini Kill under your intro Oh, do the them.
0: Bikini Kill. Yeah. Oh, Veruca Salt. Can you Veruca, Veruca Salt? Salt me a little bit? Which
1: I just, so this is going to date when we recorded this, but I just watched the final episode of Halt and Catch Fire last night. Mm-hmm. And uh, when Haley is pumping herself up to ask a girl out because she's been fighting with her sexuality the whole season, mm-hmm. As she sits in her car and rocks out to seether really hard. Yes. And I was like, yeah, do it. Go ask that girl out. You got this.
0: I'll leave it to you
1: it ne- it needs to be fairly punk. It needs to be riot girl level punk.
0: riot girl, yeah, if you can Baruka salt me something in there, that would be real great.
1: I will happily veruchuka salt something in there. thank you. Garnet would be a delight on stage because she just loves life, I think because she has escaped persecution and because she is the embodiment of love she enjoys experience so much even though she seems to be like a stoic rock Mm -hmm. probably the cosplay i saw the most of at new york comic-con recently was a lot of people were stevani from steven universe which is the fusion of steven and his friend connie Mm -hmm. which is the first known instance of like a human fusion on the show but when they do that it's also a surprise and accident similar to when sapphire and uh, ruby formed garnet and so they don't know what to do Garnet sure. looks at Stevani and looks her right in the eye and says, You are an experience. Have fun. Which is like the best way to refer to
0: I'm crying again, Derek.
1: <laughs> it's a beautiful show about representation and fighting aliens. Garnet would be a lot of fun at the bar, but I I think she would just hang out with everybody. I think she would go from table to table and just like make, not, not not even a small chit-chat, just grandiose chit-chat.
0: Grandiose chit-chat. I feel good about this. Like,
1: how is the universe today? Let's discuss spectral anomalies. What do you- <laughs> Well, that about wraps things up for this episode of Which Witch is Which.
0: Now that you've heard what we have to say, what do you think? Who would you invite into your coven? Let us know at witchwitchcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at witchwitchcast.
1: That's W-H-I-C-H-W-I-T-C-H-C-A-S-T. Don't anger the Elder Gods. Subscribe to Which Witch is Which on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, all the places your pods may be cast.
0: Until then, remember, you accidentally summon a giant demon sandworm, let the army handle it.